0: of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop. I want to personally invite you to register for our next workshop coming up June 23rd through the 25th in Texas in the lovely Hill Country. So call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY. That's one 800 497 8748 or visit gatewaymen.com. You're listening to Pure Sex Radio, training men, educating women, brought to you by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us on the web at puresexradio.com. Good day radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you here with us. My name's Jonathan and I'm super excited about a special guest that we have on the line with us. This is Dr. Julie Slattery. So Julie, thanks for deciding to be with us today.
1: Well, thanks for the invitation. I'm glad to be with you.
0: Yeah, and I can't wait because there's so many things that I want to uh, that I want to promote. Of Julie's, and there 's so many things that you 're doing in ministry that get me so excited, but i 'm going to try really hard not to get ahead of myself because <laughs> I really want your your story to be able to just kind of unfold for our listeners who maybe don 't know you to be able mm-hmm. to get to know you and then then we 'll dive into some of the other uh, things that you 've got going on that I think are incredible resources for women, um, but would you mind just kind of giving us a little bit of a backstory on you? Um, just, just kind of your story to this point and, and sort of how you ended up in a very unique way, getting involved in sexual purity ministry. I mean, that's kind of a, your story as people hear it will be like, well, how did this woman necessarily get involved in, in purity ministry? Cause yeah. you don't, you don't have the, the typical backstory in that I regard. Don't.
1: You're right. Yeah. So, um, I was blessed to grow up in a Christian family, one of six kids, Um, really just not perfect, but an ideal situation of knowing the Lord at a young age. And, um, you know, I can even remember in high school and college, doing purity talks for high school and college students and, you know, having a burden for that at at that age, but went on and got my doctorate in psychology. I'm sorry, my I'll say it the right way, my doctorate in psychology. And, um, and, just had a family right away. Jonathan got married, had three boys, and so the first probably eight years of my professional life were uh, staying home with my kids, doing some counseling, maybe a few evenings a week, doing some speaking and writing on marriage issues. Which, when you know, when you talk about marriage issues, you address sexuality. So, I guess my putting my toe in the water mm-hmm. was in my probably early thirties. Wrote a book called No More Headaches about sexuality within marriage, but um, but really my focus was ministering to women on marriage and family issues and parenting, and then God called me out to Colorado Springs where I live now. My husband and I, and kids moved here about eight or so years ago to work with Focus on the Family, and uh, got the opportunity to be on the radio broadcast there at Focus as one of the as one of the co-hosts and. I'm just kind of a voice of the ministry. And in the midst of that, I I would have told you that was my dream job. Mm -hmm. I I loved that job. I got to learn every day by interviewing people like you and uh, just speak to millions of women, actually, and and just see God work. But in the midst of that, God started to take me personally much deeper in my relationship with Him and just started seeking Him at a deeper level for probably a good 9 to 12 months and um was connected with Linda Dillo at the time. Some of your listeners might know her. She wrote, Call My Anxious Heart, Intimate Issues, and has been ministering on the topic of sexuality for some time now. Mm-hmm. And Linda began to mentor me and, um, again, just started going really deeply with the Lord. And through that time of just a lot of prayer, a lot of seeking, God began to put a burden on my heart uh, related to sexual issues. And it is strange because this wasn't my background. And a lot of people that go into ministry addressing sexuality have their own story of how God brought them out of that. And they want to help others, which is a wonderful way to see God redeem a life like yours, Jonathan, and your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but my story was that I literally felt a pain in my heart, like a pain in my chest that just wouldn't go away for, uh, for several months and as I would get before the Lord and just ask him, what's this burden? He began to show me just the brokenness and the pain and the confusion around the issues of sexuality. And so one day I was just on my knees asking the Lord, you know, what's what are you doing to me? You're wrecking my life. Mm-hmm. You know, what is this pain I'm feeling? And uh, he just directed my attention to Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. And some of your listeners might be familiar with that verse. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, um, maybe you've talked about it, but it just talks about really the prophecy of Jesus coming to bind up the brokenhearted and set captives free and to exchange beauty for ashes. And, you know, we're very familiar with that passage. But I wrote um, in my Bible that day, it was July, I think it was July 12th, 2011. I just wrote, this is your call in my life without knowing what that would look like. Mm -hmm. So fast forward, probably six or eight months, um, the Lord had clearly called me to a ministry of, of addressing sexuality, particularly for women, and I left focus on the family and and co-founded this ministry that I'm running now called Authentic Intimacy. So we talk about all issues related to intimacy and sexuality with really the heart of reclaiming God's design for sexuality, and have just it's been a joy to watch. God used the ministry to impact uh, predominantly women but also men, mm-hmm. and um, that's what I, I get to get up and do every day
0: yeah and and there's several things that I kind of want to I want to pull out of your story because I think you know there's so many things that sometimes we can't understand until we see them in hindsight, you know mm-hmm. because one of the first things that grabs me in your story is, hey, what even got you interested in going into psychology? Yeah, You know, that that couldn't have been something that you just, maybe you did, maybe just popped up one day and go, hey, I want to deal with people's minds and hearts and how we're, so the fact that you even got into that field, can you share with us kind of what was stirring in you even at that point to get in that kind of a field of study?
1: Yeah, you know, when I was probably 13, 14, 15 years old, I was always the kid that wanted to help other people. And I have a son like this now who he just is one of those people that everybody wants to share their problems with. And he has a heart, he, you know, just God's given him the gift of mercy. And I was like that as a, as a young teenager, and just you know interested in how do we pursue health and how do I help people? And initially I wanted to be a physician and started going down that road probably late in high school, early in college. But I began to realize two things. First of all, um, a lot a lot of times the life of a physician, particularly as a woman, isn't super balanced um, where medical school residency and I really wanted to have a family and I knew I probably wouldn't be able to pursue that if I if I went down the medical road. Mm-hmm. But then the, the other thing that really got my heart is I, I thought about it and figured that A lot of people can cure the body, you need a smart mind, God gives you that, but to know Christ and to integrate biblical truth into medicine is not as um, I would say life changing per se as integrating biblical truth and the relationship with Christ into the field of psychology where people are dealing with issues of loss and people are dealing with issues of you know, how do I live right? How do I raise my family? How do I fix my marriage? And so I just felt like um, like I could have a greater impact by going into the field of psychology because it would intersect so much more with faith issues and life issues. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how I ended up going
0: down that road. So then uh, that Brings another question to my mind that I don't want to get too sidetracked with this, but it does make me think. Okay, what do you do with all of the Christians that will immediately write off the things that you say because you're a psychologist? Yeah, or that you've, you know. So I, I know there, there's this huge rift. It seems like between those who say, "Listen, biblical truth is one thing, and psychology is almost its opposite." And you know, it's opposed to it. So how do you reconcile that for people who are struggling with even some things you're saying here about this idea of there being possibly an integration between the two?
1: Yeah, really, any Christian that goes into the mental health field is going to have to address that question, because the truth is a lot of of what you learn, particularly from secular training in psychology, is based on a humanistic philosophy that discounts God And so the conclusions and the prescriptions that a lot of psychologists will give are off the mark and uh, many cases go against the word of God. But I I was um, blessed to have um, particularly my initial training in psychology. I got my, uh, my bachelor's degree from Wheaton College and then my master's degree from Biola University and then ended up getting my doctorate at Florida Tech, which is a secular school, but the, that time at Wheaton and Abiola really helped me understand where psychology and the scripture interfaces. And not only that, but helped me see that if we look at psychology from a God fearing perspective, there's actually a call in the book of Proverbs for all of us to be somewhat psychologists. You know, Proverbs. In Proverbs, Solomon is looking at creation and how God created man and how God designed within man these laws of sow and reap. You know, there's consequences for our action. And Solomon is observing and then drawing out principles for healthy living. And really, I think a psychologist or a counselor rooted in scripture takes that call seriously to say that God created the interpersonal world with order and that if you yell at your kids all the time, there's going to be a predictable outcome for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you pursue intimacy in marriage, there's going to be a predictable outcome for that and a biblical psychologist um says lord give me wisdom to observe how you've created humanity and to prescribe healthy living and healing out of that.
0: Mhm. Yeah, that's great. And I think yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's unfortunate that we have pitted these things so um strongly against one another. Uh mm-hmm. because I I kind of look at it this way, there there are plenty of things that we can look at in terms of just the order of nature, right? Even for just the moment, remove the idea of any sort of religious underpinnings from that. Just the things that you can observe and, and study in just the natural order of things. And there's a lot of wisdom, like you said, when Solomon, there's a lot of wisdom that can be gained just through those observations. Now when you bring in those underpinnings of the Creator, all of a sudden, it has a whole new dynamic in the sense of it makes sense in a whole new way it doesn't it doesn't oppose the natural order it actually brings a, a vivaciousness to it like a a life to it where i mean i've heard i've had these experiences in my own life and we 've had it many times in our ministry where when people start to see those connections, they have mm-hmm. what we call the aha moments mm-hmm. oh yeah you know i 'd kind of seen those patterns in my in my childhood and in my history and in my family and in my marriage. And now bringing these biblical truths into line with some of the, again, the natural observations that we can make through things like psychology and these patterns that we can see, Oh, I get it. You know, it's kind of like there's these aha moments of it all starts to kind of click together.
1: And And I think,
0: I mean, as, as we move forward a little bit in your story, I'm really curious about how, okay, you bring, you bring this, this great education you've gotten through um, through these great universities and obviously the growth that you're having personally in your spiritual relationship with Jesus. And then you land, as you say, kind of your dream job. And was did you say it was at this time that then you, you eventually wrote the No More Headaches? Was it during that time at Focus or was that before that?
1: Yeah, I think— I think I wrote No More Headaches, like right before I went to Focus. Okay. so or right my first year or two there. Yeah. So
0: so help us understand, again, That's a, that's a whole kind of new step in terms of starting to deal with sexuality. And yeah. so was that just coming out then of kind of your private practice realizing, hey, you know, this is a topic that's coming up over and over and over again. And so without necessarily having a vision for a ministry, you obviously felt a calling to write something pertaining to sexuality. So tell us about how you started putting pen to paper on that.
1: Sure, yeah. The funny thing is, uh, the first book that I wrote was called Finding the Hero in Your Husband. And the whole idea of that book was understanding how your power as a wife really impacts your marriage and how to use that power wisely. The, one of the last chapters I wrote in, no, in Finding the Hero in Your Husband was called No More Headaches. It was kind of the prerequisite mm-hmm. chapter on sex that you have to write if you're going to write a marriage book. And I probably viewed it that way at that point. You know, in my early 30s, writing that first book was, okay, I've got to address sexuality. So after Finding the Hero in Your Husband came out, I continually got asked to speak on the No More Headaches chapter. Like everybody wanted me to address Sexuality, and so I was very reluctant. I'm like, I'd rather speak on the whole book, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about sexuality. That's just weird. Um, but when I would speak on sexuality, I noticed that just the floodgates would open in terms of women wanting to talk and pray and share things that they felt like they never had a safe place to share. So God was preparing the way for authentic intimacy without me knowing it. Even then, so no more headaches really came out of the speaking that I had been doing around finding the hero in your husband and seeing that there really was a great need. And I called the book No More Headaches really because that was my approach in marriage, was that um, sexual intimacy for me and my husband Mike wasn't easy for the first probably decade of our marriage. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of issues going on between us. Um, We had some brokenness to deal with. And um, even physically it wasn't It wasn't fun for me. It was painful uh, physically. So I had some issues physiologically to deal with. And so my approach going into writing No More Headaches was this is supposed to be a great gift, but there's all these headaches in the way. Mm -hmm. And how do we address headaches like um, I don't enjoy sex or I I don't have any desire or there's pornography in our marriage uh, or we can't communicate about sex. So that's where that book came from. And, you know, it's kind of fun to go back and read that book and see. Where I was at that time, because we we are always writing out of our own journeys, sure, and see the things things that God has taught me since then
0: mhm, so then I'm curious to know as you as you're speaking started to kind of have more of this flavor of hey we're we're requesting you to come talk about sexuality, help our listeners understand what some of those interactions were like, because obviously I, I think a lot of the if I can put it this way, a lot of the best stuff that comes out of speaking is, is not the presentation as much as it is the conversations afterwards. Yeah. And so what were, what were kind of the flavors of the conversations you were starting to see afterwards? And how was that uh, either challenging you, scaring you, invigorating you? I mean, what were, what were all the reactions you were having then to these conversations that were happening in these speaking events?
1: Yeah. you know, The first few times I spoke on sexuality, the audiences were really quiet and I couldn't read them. And you know from being a speaker that you get energy and feedback from how your audience reacts to you, if they laugh mm-hmm. and what facial expressions they're giving their body language. And I would just get these kind of blank stares, very silent rooms. And the first few times I just thought, all right, I must have heard the Lord wrong. I'm not supposed to be speaking on this. Everybody's feeling super awkward. They're not getting it. And so when I would be done speaking and then have these women line up and, you know, say thank you, no one's ever talked to me about those things or confess things like, I'm in an extramarital affair right now and I, I'm not sure how to get out. Do I tell my husband? What are my next steps? Or I was sexually abused all throughout my childhood, and I don't think I could ever like sex. Uh, When I would start to hear those kind of stories, it helped me realize that even if I'm not seeing some tangible response when I'm speaking to an audience, there is a great need there. Mm -hmm. And almost every woman has some question or some pain that she's dealing with, and she doesn't have a place to go to. Uh, and a biblical source of truth a compassionate ear to listen and then my counseling practice really um really solidified that as well that i would know a couple um socially that might come for counseling and maybe they went to my church and everything looked great on the outside and then they would get in the counseling room and begin sharing these struggles sexually and you would never know and i started to to wonder hey, Mike and I are having problems, other couples are having problems. When I speak, there's this outpouring of pain. How many of us are dealing with sexual issues and just have nowhere to go with them? Mm -hmm. And so it was definitely one of those things where the Lord was blessing it and asking me to continue to be obedient and studying sexuality so that I could be equipped in helping.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, at that point, and even at this point, in, in your ministry today, your, your emphasis really is focused on women. And so mm-hmm. what have you seen, I mean, as you have gotten maybe connected with uh, folks who deal with men, or even as you saw couples maybe in your practice or whatever, what have been the, the biggest differences that you've seen between men and women in how they deal with sexual brokenness and the kinds of sexual brokenness that they're having to face in their lives?
1: Yeah, um, I think probably one of the the biggest differences um, Bill and Pam Farrell, who are writers and speakers on marriage They wrote a book called men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti mm-hmm. and they talked about how men like compartments And uh, when you're in the sexual compartment, you're talking about sex. You're thinking about sex when you're in the finance department You're just thinking about money. That's how men work and uh, they like things divided Whereas women like spaghetti, everything's connected. And I think that's true related to sexuality, where a man's issues sexually usually can be uh, pretty easily pinpointed. Maybe he's struggling with lust, maybe he has a history of pornography. And, yeah, there's some connection there in terms of backstory and where there might have been wounding in the past, uh, you know, longings, things he's looking for. But it's pretty linear in terms of tracing those things back. Women are all over the place. And the men that are listening right now are like, yeah, my wife is all over the place. I can't understand her sexually. Mm -hmm. And let me just tell you, your wife probably can't understand herself sexually. Uh, Women are so complicated, even physiologically, that. They don't know what's wrong when they can't enjoy sex or they can't achieve orgasm. Uh, they don't know how their past is playing into uh, what's happening today. Women deal with tremendous amounts of shame around sexuality. Men don't, don't typically carry that amount of shame. Uh, w- women are more likely to have experienced different kinds of sexual abuse and sexual trauma. So I think dealing with women's sexuality is probably quite a bit more complicated than addressing men's sexuality. Um, and you deal with men, so you can push back on that. if.
0: Sure, if you're, no, no, I, I actually yeah. agree with what you're saying and, and really highlighting the shame issue. I absolutely believe that that men and women carry their shame in very different ways. So many mm-hmm. times with men, while it has a way of seeping into that place of identity, mm-hmm. typically we carry our shame more in a direct association with our acting out. Mm-hmm. So there is a, there's a sense of shame about the various things that we've done. Now, that has a way of then uh, translating into identity language, right? Like, I'm disgusting, I'm a pervert, I'm despicable. But I think women carry that on just such a different level in terms, of it, yes, it may be connected to behavior, but it also, like you said, with all that spaghetti, yeah. You know, it seems to just interface with every other aspect of her life, too. So she might have shame associated with sexual brokenness, but it manifests in maybe how she spends money or manifests in her speech. It manifests in there's all these other things that it seems like it just, it, like you said, it almost like has this ability to travel mm-hmm. into all those other layers of her almost instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think you, you're you right. I think men do have a sense of being able to compartmentalize in some ways, even saying, well, you know, Hey, listen, I'm totally confident and feeling great about how I'm doing at work and managing money. And I have no shame in those areas whatsoever, but I've got this huge amount of shame with my sexuality. And from what I'm hearing from you, women don't have that sense of separation no. in terms of the, the shame they may be carrying.
1: No. And so when there's a problem with a woman it's much more difficult to kind of get to the source of it. So it might show up in her eating or her body image, for example. And then it takes a while to get to maybe a traumatic event that she had as a child and how that's playing out now in sexuality in her marriage. And again, it, there's so many different layers and it goes into so many different compartments of her life that uh, that, we're just we're just a little bit complicated. So well,
0: and and I know um, this is going to be a question that you you probably can't answer in you know sixty seconds or less. But um, where do you typically help a woman start this mm-hmm. process of dealing with all of that confusion regarding sexual brokenness and just sexuality in general?
1: Yeah, you know, from a clinical perspective and a counseling perspective, my approach used to be and probably still at some level relationally would be addressing the presenting problem and then following that presenting problem all the way through its roots. So a woman might say, I've been married for 30 years. I've never been able to enjoy sex. And then you begin saying, well, why is that? You know, tell me about how you learned about sex Tell me about any traumatic experience you've had. What's your relationship like with your husband? So you start with the presenting problem and work back and see kind of where that strand of spaghetti is going to take you. From a teaching perspective and a ministry perspective, what I've learned to do is instead of starting with the presenting problem, we start by teaching wholeness. And why sexuality is so important to God, why it's a a spiritual aspect of your life that you can't separate, you know, my relationship with God and my sexuality. A lot of people try to separate those, but in fact, they're really connected. And talking about the theology of sexuality, that the enemy actually hates holy sexuality because of what it represents and because it has a power for us to connect with what covenant love was designed to look like. And so uh, I teach from a ministry perspective about thinking about how the enemy has distorted that gift in your own life and give some examples and and then talk about you know how do we pursue the scriptures in terms of really knowing what sexual integrity looks like so um, so that's kind of the approach we use and mm-hmm. what I love about the approach of starting with the scripture and starting with wholeness is that we can have a room of five, 600 women who are all coming from really different backgrounds, some of them single, some of them divorced, some of them married, some of them in the gay lifestyle, um, some of them with sexual abuse. And when you present what wholeness looks like and God's design for sex, and then you talk about the distortions, every single one of them can relate.
0: Right. And so
1: it becomes a message that unifies us.
0: Yeah. And I really— um... I really want to unpack that and we don't have time in this episode. Would you be willing to come back and have us really unpack that whole idea of holy sexuality and how we engage that next time?
1: Yeah, I would love to.
0: Before we uh, sign off, I really want our listeners to be able to know how they can get your resources, learn more about authentic intimacy. So can you just share with us some places that they can go and some resources that might be helpful?
1: Yeah, uh, our website is com, and there you're going to find pretty much everything we do. You'll find books and Bible studies. We have a podcast called Java with Julie, where uh, we sit in a coffee shop and have these conversations, these types of conversations about sexuality. Um, you'll also find blogs, contact information, speaking schedule, things like that. So com.
0: Well, thanks so much, Julie, and I can't wait for our, us to come back again and really dive into this idea of how do you really communicate that idea of holy sexuality and then, and then live it out. So thanks for being with us this time.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And listeners, we're always glad that you decided to join us, and we look forward to having you back here next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.